today's episode, we're going to talk about some things that will help you in developing a thought process for your offense and how you approach it. We're going to talk about RPO and some different uh, schemes, specific of schemes, and going to focus on some things that will help you find the winning edge. And to help us discuss that all is the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Bucknell, Jason Mirren. Jason, it's great to have you here. Thanks, Keith. Really looking forward to, to talking a little ball. Well, Coach, uh, before we get into some of the specifics, and, and you have a lot of great stuff you're going to share with us today, uh, talk to us a little bit about your coaching journey. And, and for you, how did this start? What was it that made you want to become a football coach? Well, that would easily be my parents. Um, first of all, my dad was a college coach when I was growing up. He worked at some high academic division three schools uh, while I was alive. Uh, Amherst College, Swarthmore College, um, you know, eventually moving on and, and getting a job at uh, University of Pennsylvania before becoming a high school administrator. But football has always been a part of my life. And, and my mom made it a point. I mean, we went to practice, watched my dad's team practice every single day. And, um, you know, obviously being around football is important. But looking back on it now, the biggest thing that attracted me was I saw the way that my dad left the house every single day with a purpose, um, whether it was trying to make his players better in the off season and training, trying to beat an opponent and just what that did for his quality of life. Um, you know, just the different uh, and incredible people that the game of football brought into my life, especially through my dad's staff and the players that he coached. I mean, uh, you know, probably subconsciously, really did a lot for me um you know and then I would just say um you know I I was fortunate enough to get a great education at the University of Pennsylvania and, and play football there and, and I was fortunate enough to get some really good internships um and you know as good as those internships were in the real world I, I continued to go back and I said I want to be around people like my father and the people that he was around and, and I remember uh, unfortunately, my second to last game of my college career, we lost, um, you know, we lost the league championship. And uh, I just turned to my dad. I remember saying to him, like, I want to coach. And he said, yeah, I know. Um, and, and so, you know, he helped me uh, and, and uh, you know, get my first job. And, uh, you know, I've, I've worked for people like John Troxell, who, who does an unbelievable job at Franklin and Marshall and um, with Lawrence First and Goal. Uh, great cause, uh, you know, for pediatric brain cancer. And, um, you know, and just I've continued to progress because it, through this profession and, and I would, you know, throw an air quote, stick with it through some of the tough times because I've been around great people. Uh, you know, my current boss who I work for, Dave Cicchini, is just one of the best and, you know, has allowed me to become, you know, when I started working for Coach Cicchini, I was a 23-year-old uh, immature one year out of college uh, coach and now I've become a husband and a father and a coordinator and, and just, you know, I, I owe on top of what I've already said about my parents, I owe a lot of that development to him. I've worked for people like Andy Cohen, who's had a great career as a coach at Lehigh university. And so I think that the thing that got me into the profession is still the thing that keeps me going. And it's the people I'm around and, and, 
Um, certainly, most importantly, is the players. Um, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough, regardless of talent level, to be around some unbelievable people, thanks to the great schools that I've worked at. And, and just the players, uh, you know, just their love for the game of football, their love for, you know, they, they challenge us to be better because they're so intelligent, they're so smart. Um, and they want to be so great that they push us as coaches to be better and better and better. And, and so I would just say the people are the number one reason why I'm in the situation that I'm in. Coach, and, and talking before we hit record here, uh, it was definitely clear that you're a student of the game. You love studying the game, love watching a number of different offenses and understanding uh, different types of systems. But, you know, when I asked you, you know, what is it that you guys do, uh, you really said there's there's actually nothing special. You couldn't call our system anything. Um, we want to be disciplined. We want to be physical. We're going to be multiple. But ultimately, we develop this around our personnel. Talk to us about your philosophy in developing an offense, and um, you know, the, I guess the different things you've learned along the way that really have become a part of your philosophy as a coordinator. Yeah, uh, the biggest thing that I, I've learned, especially as being a coordinator, is that, you know, I can't go out and execute for our players. I can't make the right read from for the quarterbacks as, as well. I can show a receiver or a tight end or a running back a route 20 times on film, but at the end of the day, he has to go out and have the confidence to execute it. Um, so the biggest thing that I've learned is, is you have to find a way both physically and emotionally to make sure that you are preparing your players with confidence. And, um, you know, that means identifying their skill sets, understanding what's, what schemes fit best on a week to week and a year to year basis with the personnel that you have really starting with the quarterback, especially in the passing game. Um, but the, the biggest thing that I've learned too, and, and when I do professional development, I, I try and connect with defensive coordinators just as often as I do offensive coordinators um, is I try and be as unpredictable as possible. And that goes back to, um, you know, my, my comments about not subscribing to one system. Um, if you play against us, you are going to see three to four different tempos. You are going to see three to four different cadences. You're going to see, a handful of run schemes, many different protections. And long story short, when you game plan for us as a defense, I want, if you're going to be aggressive against us, I want you to understand that there's going to be an inherent risk, that you are going to have to be guessing which side of the field are they going to attack on this play. How are, you know, do they want me to put the three technique to the field or to the boundary? Uh, and I want you to feel uneasy as a defensive coordinator about your process. And, and so um, all those things from a tempo, a scheme, and, you know, a cadence perspective, what I am trying to create is chaos for the defense while creating a sense of calm and confidence on our offense. Um, and I think, you know, that would be the biggest thing that I've learned you have to try and create on a week-to-week basis. I think a lot of that, when you take that approach, the, the secret sauce is in how you do things, right? That, uh, you know, it's, it's not uh, being able to 
say, well, these guys do this all the time because you're going to be aware of that. Uh, you're going to break down and find out what your tendencies are and ultimately uh, try to create some balance within what you do by, by knowing you know, this is what we've done so far. Here's a bit of tendency to developing. Uh, here's how we're going to package something to break that. So in, in looking at that, and especially in terms of how you prepare your players, what things go into that in terms of, of the way you're going to teach the game, you're going to teach the game plan. Yeah, so you always have to you always have to teach your players what's what's most important and I think no matter what level of coaching you're in, you have to teach them the why. Um if if we ran a certain RPO two weeks in a row out of a certain formation, okay, we're despite the fact that on film it would be a good play, we're not gonna run that this week because they will be ready for it. Instead, we are going to run this play action as a way to take a deep shot. Uh, we'll get that same RPO or that same screen out of a different formation. Um, so I think no matter what you have to, uh, you know, you have to teach your players the why. Um, one of the biggest things that we do is we have a planned identity when the season uh, takes, you know, when the season starts, come, you know, headed into preseason camp against our own defense. Uh, we track just like we would throughout a season in our team periods, in our skelly periods, our inside run periods, we track what plays we are running the most and how successful we're being so that we are starting to understand what our identity is. And we share that with our players so that, that they understand, despite what we may like on a piece of paper, here's what's actually working. Here's what we need to do better at. The same thing goes, and I, you know, data analytics is so hot right now. Um, we use that information that we track ourselves and we say, Hey, here's why we're going to do this this week, because this has been successful. Here's why we're going to put a hold on this play, or we're going to tweak this play because it has yet to be so successful. So, um, you, you know, I know that's a long winded answer to simply say, um, we give our players the why of what we are doing. And we give them concrete data that supports that so that when things do, I mean, not everything's going to be successful. And sometimes things even serve a purpose, whether you hit on that play or not, that counter uh, or that, that adjustment, that play that builds on a staple of your offense, whether you hit on it or not, it tells a defense, Hey, this guy is aware of his tendencies. He's aware of his identity and it lets future opponents know, okay, now I got to be ready. Okay. This is what they've done the, the previous week, you know? And so even if you're not successful in those tweaks that you make, you've still created confidence within your offense with, Hey, this is our process. And moving forward, you continue to set a tone and set a standard that a defense has to be ready, not only for what they've seen on film, but what they haven't seen yet. In, in looking at attacking the whole field, of course, RPO is one of the first things that comes to mind, right? You're, you're, you're going to force the defense to uh, defend every inch of the field. However, I think you brought this up before we got going. Uh, you need to be able to plan in some vertical threats there. And so for you, uh, in, I think a lot of guys early on, you'd hear from them, well, our, our you know, we run, we're an RPO team. Our quick game is RPO. We're an RPO team. Our play action is RPO that 
you have a different thought process for that, that play action definitely serves a purpose within an offense that does run RPO as well. Yeah, 100%. And, and, you know, our, our, without getting too deep into it, I mean, our RPO philosophy has simplified as we've gone, uh, you know, through the years, but, um, you know, long story short, whether if you're running an RPO, the run, if it's a true RPO where it's run first and you're only throwing it when absolutely necessary, you, your pass and your run should attack the same area. And so the number one thing that we try and do out of every single formation um, is we want to look at, um, you know, we want to look at, okay, where are they adding an extra defender from? Is it going to be, you know, who do we need to be aware of? Who do we need to tell our quarterback to keep an eye on so that he understands the RPO? And then from there, you know, whether you are a team who locks, you know, what we call locking a run and making an automatic run or throwing an RPO that undoubtedly is an intermediate route that's probably going to be completed somewhere between five and 12 yards down the field, you really have to ask yourself, well, okay, what am I doing to this secondary to make them worry about the ball getting thrown over their head. And if you are a running team and an RPO team, you're really not doing anything. Um, and so we really spend a lot of time each week, uh, whether it's move play actions, naked bootlegs, or especially pocket play action saying, okay, how can we, uh, build play actions off of our RPOs. Okay. And sometimes it's just running, you know, Steve Sarkeesian is doing a phenomenal job at Alabama with the receivers that he has running, you know, just double moves off their RPOs. Uh, you know, and, uh, a lot of people are doing that. Some people are, are just running deeper versions of their RPOs and, and getting those guys to backpedal and flip their hips. And so, you know, I think the biggest thing that you have to ask yourself is if you want to be successful at RPOs, how can you create a vertical passing game out of pocket play actions? Because um, you have to make those safeties backpedal and those corners backpedal, and you have to put the fear, uh, you know, because defense, you know, defensive back coaches, the number one thing that they preach to their guys is do not get beat over your head. Um, and so you have to, while RPOs are great, they become better when you can create a great vertical passing game in, in play actions. And I think, you know, you asked the question as well, just following up on what we said earlier, sometimes what we'll do is if an RPO has been good the last two weeks, we won't put it in, but we'll put in a play action off of that as a way to create, you know, for us to be able to bring that RPO back one, two, three weeks down the road. Yeah. I think it's an effective strategy. And I, I hear more and more guys talking about that as being an important component to Keeping their RPOs successful is is uh, not letting them get locked down. So whether that's a you know a double move off of that look or uh, something that's going to be a little bit more vertical, I've seen that kind of trending, uh, especially in the last year year and a half. That that guys are really looking at play action needs to be a part of us, even though we are quote unquote an RPO team. And I know that's not necessarily how you identify, but you see it as an important component. I know the other concept we talked about, and it's one I love. I, I've used it a number of times. I remember initially using it at the high school level. I went out to a clinic. Geez, this must have been the early 90s. And um, it was it was at Carnegie Mellon. Rich Erdley was the offensive coordinator there. And he was talking about this concept of 
quick naked, right? Quick boot. And Tony DeMeo was another one you see. He's used it for some time. But it kind of came back to the forefront. I believe it was in the Big Ten. And I cannot recall who it was, the coordinator there, but uh, it was at Minnesota. And they were using it and having a lot of success with it. And really uh, became a pass-pass option. When you think about pure quick game, um, you know the, the one limiting factor to it is you have the side you're throwing to, and if something takes away where you're going post-snap, you kind of have to throw it away, right? There's really no other option. However, the quick game paired with naked or, or boot, however you might run it, kind of gives you an element to keep the play alive and have essentially a built-in scramble away from the quick with guys running to that side if they didn't get the ball thrown to them on the quick game. So I know that's something you've used in the past uh, when you were at um, some other places, but but talk to us about that aspect of, of offense and what you like about it. Yeah, I think, number one, you hit the nail on the head of, you know, quick game can be very difficult. Right? A lot of people go, you know, one high, two high in their three-step quick game, quick passing game. And, you know, defenses are getting more and more uh, complex and they're doing a better job disguising thing, things as they get more athletic. And it doesn't take much to mess with the pre-snap read of even the best quarterbacks. And so uh, the best thing that I like about the, you know, the dash protection is, um, it gives you, it gives the quarterback 100% confidence, number one, where his read starts. And I think even in what, what sometimes can hold up, you know, good to average quarterbacks with the three step is they know the right side to read to, but they're not confident where their read progresses from there. So number one, right, we're talking about your first read always starts with the three step. It allows that, that quarterback to play fast and move his feet confidently. Um, so that's number one, um, you know, that we like about it. And then number two, what it does is it gets everybody's eyes, even more so maybe than a run fake, it gets the pass defender's eyes away from where you are eventually going to run a naked or a boot pattern. And so with your eyes, um, you know, you are telling the defense, I'm throwing the ball over there which a quarterback's eyes is probably, I would say, more telling and more valuable than even a run fake, right? People don't believe run fakes too much, especially in this day and age of RPOs and play actions. The quarterback's eyes and actually moving his shoulders towards the throw, super, super valuable. So then when you do get out on the edge, you have shifted the defense and you have hopefully created a great advantage for whatever pass concepts you want to run down the field. Um, and so you're, you know, you're creating a great throwing lane for your quarterback and, and allowing him to be confident in where he is throwing the football. Um, you know, looking ahead, uh, you know, uh, some other things that I've liked is, number one, just like an RPO, it, the defense is going to tell you, if you do a good job coaching it, the defense is going to, give you the area that's open and you just have to coach your guys to take it. Um, you know, the other thing that I've really, really liked about it is it's a great way. Um, it's always been a great way for us to attack the field um, from kind of some unconventional 
formations, whether we're doing FIB or, um, you know, sometimes three by one back into the boundary, we can be a little heavy with attacking the boundary. It gives us a great way to get back to the field when we absolutely can get there. Um, you know, and then last but not least, like one of the, one of the ways we started using it a lot, which a lot of people like is it's a great way to throw the ball and easily involve all your eligibles out of like a unbalanced where you're going to run a speed sweep um, with your, your split end into the boundary. You know, you can line up in that formation and then just run. And I'm throwing this in air quotes, a normal concept for yourself. It doesn't, everything doesn't have to be built around that X receiver motioning, which I think is really, really cool as well. Yeah, definitely. I know as, as you and I have, have chatted, you know, both, while we've recorded in a little bit before, you know, the way you really look at things is, is the way it's packaged in. And, and so receiver screens have a part in your offense too, but you mentioned to me that it's about the packaging. Talk to me about your thought process on that and how you fit receiver screens into, you know, what, as you said, looks like a very multiple offense that puts a lot of stress on defense. Yeah. So, the the area that wide receiver screens and, and wide receiver screens to a certain degree are a an extension you can either call it a an extension of your three step pass game or we really consider it an extension of our outside run game um, and you know what makes a great offense in my opinion is the ability to discourage a defense from blitzing regardless of their identity, whether they're a blitz happy team, you know, balance, whatever, you need to be able to do things to discourage people to blitz. And so, um, you know, that's, I think that's one of the biggest areas that, that we try and employ wide receiver screens and and really any of our screens is, you know, we look at when are people likely to blitz and where are they telling us to, throw the football when they do blitz and um you know and and that's usually it's not all the time sometimes it makes the most sense hey we create pass concepts where it's hey if you get blitz you're going to throw a hitch to this person or that person um but where we've utilized wide receiver screens the most and the best is against pressure and we've used it when you know oftentimes throwing into the teeth of pressure because that's where the defense is the weakness. And, and I would just say if anybody's looking to employ wide receiver screens and, you know, I've seen plenty of people do a great job with double screens. That's not really our thing. Um, I would just say, you know, continue to look at a defense and say, when they blitz us, where do they not want us to throw the football and see if you see if you can get a quick hitting play out there. And, and, because when, when teams are blitzing, right, they are, especially when teams blitz the edge, they're taking away your outside run game. And wide receiver screens are kind of our way to take that back. And we're basically still getting exactly what they're trying to take away from us. I love the thought process there. And um, moving ahead, kind of flipping switches here, taking a look at, um, you know, your, your approach to continue learning. You, you mentioned your rereading. It's one of my favorite coaching books, Finding the Winning Edge by Bill Walsh. Um, but for you, uh, you, you kind of have a philosophy in, in how you're going to approach this game and, um, you know, both, I guess, the, the trials you might have along the way as well as 
the success in, in the, the place you'd like to get to. Uh, I think it's a, a great philosophy. You know, you share with me before, but uh, talk to us about, you know, how you think about that and uh, your approach to the professional development side of this game. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the biggest thing that I've realized is, and I was like any young coach, right? I had my dream schools or dream school or two that I ended up that I rooted for. And of course, you know, my only goal is to work my tail off and, and go coach at that school. Um, you know, and there's not one way to be successful and you don't just have one path. Uh, you don't just have one chance to be successful. So, you know, I, I, a lot of people think, uh, you know, when they get a chance to potentially move on or they're trying, they're looking at their current position and how can they improve themselves? They, they sit there and they say, um, you know, that, okay, well, if I do this, this will get me here faster. Or if I do this, I'll get there faster. And the truth of the matter is, is that's just, you know, that's not true. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you are in control of how hard you work on a day in and day out basis. You are in control of, um, you know, your career moving forward. And, and I think we all place too much, uh, we place too much value on a short term move that is going to somehow impact us 25 years down the road. And I just don't believe in that, you know, continue to be grounded, continue to be where you are and work your tail off, you know, from a professional standpoint, that's the number one thing I'd say, um, you know, and, and uh, I would also just say, I mean, there's not one way to do things. Uh, and that's why I continue to try and learn. I, I try and get as much film for the off season as possible. And, and we look at, you know, when we go as an offensive staff, I tell our guys, um, you know, we should we should look at the teams with the best total offense and we should look at the teams that are the best on third down and we should look at the teams that are the best in the red zone because those are the three things statistically that year in and year out win football games outside of, of course, turnovers and negative plays, um, which nobody's trying to create. And so we study those teams every single year. And sometimes we grab things from those teams, uh, you know, and, and we say, hey, this, this is a great addition to what we do. This would be a great complement out of this formation and this formation. Sometimes we don't. And the number one thing that I think some people will say is, oh, I watched that film and I didn't get anything. That's a huge waste of time. And that's the exact opposite. When I have what's a, what some people would say is a negative experience or an experience that doesn't change anything, in what I do, what I've actually done is I've strengthened my belief in my process and I've strengthened my belief in what I do. And so that's what I would continue to tell people is continue to go out and learn. And even if you don't pick something up, even if you don't add something to your arsenal schematically, philosophically, what you're doing is you're actually strengthening your beliefs in what you do. And, and, you know, your beliefs and your values are going to get tested in this profession and they need to be strong or else you'll be kind of lost uh, at times when you really, really need your values and your strengths the most. It's a, a great message and a great approach to this and kind of dovetails then with our next question. We mentioned finding the winning edge and that's uh, where I take the last question from that I ask everybody. And when you look at all you do coach, um, what is it that you feel is the one thing that gives your players the winning edge? 
I want it to be discipline. I think the discipline is the reason why we win football games. And, you know, what discipline is in my mind, people can define it differently, is it is the self-control to complete a task despite the emotions and the pressure and the, uh, you know, and, and the situ- whatever other conditions are surrounding a situation. Fourth quarter, Patriot League championship is on the line, we're, or we're in the FTS playoffs. I want our guys to be so disciplined that they are so focused on their task at hand, and it's so ingrained in them that the situation is not too big for them. And they're going to go out and out-execute the defender or the 11 defenders in front of us. Um, and I think that's key for anybody. And, and I think, uh, to me, the different people I've studied, and, I, and I'm open to changing my philosophy, but at the end of the day, discipline is the easiest way to predict and replicate results. And that's what we try and do. And, and we're not there yet. We haven't perfected it. Um, our guys have made great strides here at Bucknell. And, and certainly you look back to some of the games we won and some of the close ones, I think discipline was the difference just in those moments. Um, you know, when we, when we had that calm over us and that belief in what we were doing, that understanding of what we were doing, we were able to pull out the game. And, and unfortunately there were some times where we weren't. So discipline is 1000% our winning edge. Coach, for our listeners out there, uh, if you would, please share the areas you recruit. Yeah, so I I recruit Southeast Pennsylvania. Uh, I actually come out to Harrisburg, and then I go north to the Lehigh Valley. Uh, I recruit the the state of Georgia, focusing on Atlanta, but obviously getting out to some of the major areas – you know, up to Rome, Georgia, all the way over to Savannah and uh, Athens and Augusta as well. Um, you know, I recruit California, um, you know, and I focus, uh, you know, one of our other coaches helps me with Northern California. I really focus on Fresno South uh, and I also recruit the state of Alabama as well. And the best way for our listeners to contact you. So I would say, uh, you know, Twitter is always a great way. Uh, it is, I know it's sometimes for some people, a informal setting, but I love it uh, at coach Jason Mirren. Uh, and then, uh, you know, my email address as well. Uh, JM 65 at bucknell.edu always works as well. Coach, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to talk some ball with us and share some ideas. Uh, just some, some great ideas today, both on the offensive side of the ball and in, in the approach to this profession. So thank you for that. And thanks for the time. Awesome. Thanks for having me. This was great. Thank you again for listening to the coaching coordinator podcast. Please. If you are enjoying the podcast, head over to iTunes or Spotify and click five star for rate. If you have a minute, write a review. It really helps the podcast. Check out our new home for the coaching coordinator podcast. That's at coach and coordinator.com and follow me on Twitter at coach K Grabowski.